The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all, all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Where did John the Baptist learn how to preach like this? He came like a lightning bolt out of the desert. He came preaching like this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He came saying, the axe is already at the root of the tree of your life. God's about ready to cut you down. You brood of vipers, how do you learn how to preach like this? No one else was preaching like this. This was classic Old Testament prophet. Coming to warn a sinful people and to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. But where did he learn this? Well, we've already identified. He studied carefully the book of Isaiah as well as Isaiah 40, where he is quoting this passage, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. This was his, this was his mission statement. And so John the Baptist came preaching this strong word to the people, and he came straight out of the Old Testament. I'm sure he read carefully the book of of Jeremiah and all of the other prophets. But the one prophet that becomes very clear, he read very carefully, is the prophet Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet to proclaim God's word to Israel. And it, it talks about the coming Messiah. It talks about the man who would come forward and proclaim the word of the Lord. So let's look at Malachi. Let's get a taste of what John the Baptist was shaped by. He was formed in the womb of the desert by Malachi. And when God's word came to him, he was ready to explode on the scene with thousands of people coming day by day. We see these Cute little pictures of John the Baptist having people kneel in the water while he splashes some water over them. 
and there's a small group of people standing around. That's not the picture. In reality, there were thousands of people coming, and John was immersing them in the Jordan River. He was plunging them into the water. After they repented of their sins, after they confessed, people came with tears streaming down their faces. They came proclaiming, I'm a sinner. I need to have my sins forgiven. And they were specific about their sins. This was a scene of chaos. This was a scene of revival, of reformation, of change. So let's go back and look at the book of Malachi. What was it that so informed him? Well, the book of Malachi opens with, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord said, yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Or in the Greek, that word hated can also mean just utterly indifferent to. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland. Ah, God's judgment came on Edom. I've left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. Possibility thinking, human effort. And God is saying, I will have nothing of this. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They will build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Now what was it about Esau that so angered the Lord? Well, we have to go back all the way to the beginning with Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. Esau was the eldest brother. As they were raised in the family, there was a difference. There was a crying out after the God of heaven by Jacob, but Esau had no interest in God. We find In chapter 25 of Genesis, in verse 29, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that red stew. I am weary. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and the stew of lentils, and then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This was a key part of what made God so angry with him. He had no interest in the birthright. Now, what is the birthright? Well, first, when dad dies, you become the head of the house. You have authority over the rest of the family. You also receive 
a double portion of the inheritance of the family. You also receive the blessing of the Father. You also are now the priest of the family. You are the spiritual leader of the family. And God's blessing to Abraham will now pass to you. Well, Jacob knew all about this. God had told him and his family that the younger would rule over the elder. He knew the birthright was supposed to be his, but how was he going to get it? And in his flesh, Jacob, heel grabber, reached out and grabbed the birthright from Esau. And Esau didn't care. He blew it off. But then later, dad is old. And he doesn't know when he's going to die. And so he decides he's going to give the birthright blessing, the father's blessing, to Esau. He knows that the blessing belongs to Jacob. He knows the transaction that went on. But he's going to defy that. And he's going to bless Esau. Now, when mom hears about that, she directs Jacob in what he's to do. And he deceitfully comes to his father with the food that he has been requested. And he feeds his father, says he is Esau. And his father gives him the blessing. And the blessing is amazing. I'll read it for you. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. This is the amazing blessing of Abraham. And now Isaac is passing it on. He thinks to Esau. You think God could not have prevented that blessing from being given? Yes, he could have. But Jacob, remember, is the heel grabber. So he grabs it. Now it happens that as soon as Isaac has finished blessing Jacob, Esau comes in with his food all prepared. And he says, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac says, Who are you? And he answers, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembles. He knows he's been tricked. He says, who, where? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I've blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. A blessing cannot be reversed. Esau heard the words of his father. He cried with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, 
bless me, me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob heel grabber? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. He said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I've made him your master. I've made him your master, and all of his brethren I've given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, oh, my father, bless me. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And finally a blessing was given, but it was not the blessing that Esau wanted. And he determined in his heart that he would kill his brother Jacob. And that's when Jacob was sent away to to Laban. Now Jacob paid a very heavy price for his deceit. Bitter labor for 20 years. But the Lord said, I have hated Esau. I've turned his mountains into a wasteland. So this is what John the Baptist is reading as he's in the desert. And he understands that you cannot play with God. That you can come to a point with God where the blessing is gone and you can't reclaim it. Some of you are filling a cup of iniquity with the Lord and you don't know at what point that cup will become too full and the Lord will say, okay, that's it. Now, all sin can be forgiven except the sin against the Holy Spirit. Every sin can be confessed and repented of and you're listening to this broadcast which means you have an interest and God is holding his hand out to you today but I want you to be warned by what happened to Esau. If you disregard the sacred things of God, you're in trouble. Now, the book of Malachi is full of descriptions of why people are full of trouble. And the first one is, you have no respect for the things of God. You have no respect for the birthright. You have no respect for the priesthood. You have no respect for holiness and righteousness. You're casual about God and about church and about your relationship, and you blow it off. If you want to go, you go. If you don't want to go, you don't. If you want to pray, you do. And if you don't want to pray, you don't. There's no discipline. There's no sternness in your spirit that says, I must get right with God. You have not resolved to dedicate all of your life to God and all of your thoughts, all of your words, all of your actions. 
You've not made the decision yet, some of you, to utterly give that to the Lord God of heaven. You're in danger of the Lord saying, I hate you. I'm indifferent to you. I will bring judgment upon you. Now Malachi goes on. This is the Lord speaking. Verse 6. This is chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? Now he's going to continue this same theme brought out of Esau who had no respect and showed no honor to the Lord God of heaven. And now he's saying directly to the people of his day, and this is sometime after Nehemiah came and the wall was built, and already he's saying, you don't honor me. If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. It is you, pastors, who show contempt. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now, implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hand. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, It is defiled of its food, it is contemptible, and you say, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. You bring crippled, injured, diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them of your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. My name is to be feared among the nations. So he's speaking about whether or not you will honor the Lord with your offerings. Will you honor the Lord? Or will you say, Ah, oh, come on. Will you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse? Will you bring the full offering to the Lord God of heaven that he directs you to bring? The offering he directs you to bring. Will you give freely of what God has given you to support the work of the gospel? Or will you treat it with contempt and say, Oh, come on, doesn't matter, somebody else. 
where you walk into church and chit-chat with everybody about casual, mundane, profane things? Or will you come in with an understanding that you've come to meet with Jesus Christ? Will you dress as beggars and pagans as you come into the house of the Lord, or will you dress with respect? I dare you to dress with your customary church dress and walk into the Oval Office to visit whoever the president might be. Oh, no, you'd be dressed in your finest. Well, you're walking into church to meet the Lord God of heaven. And I recognize the pastors are the casual ones in their sports shirts and their jeans. They are defiling the house of the Lord, and they are wrong. If the pastor does not show respect, how will the people show respect? I know what the argument is. Oh, it doesn't matter how you dress. Just come as you are. And the pastor dresses in his casual stuff to say, Hey, this is no big deal. Just come as you are. We love you. Are you kidding me? Where's the message? Repent. Turn from your sin. Get serious with Jesus. We have fallen so far from holiness and righteousness and purity. Breaks my heart. I can hear you now. Come on, Pastor. No, you come on. Understand. The Lord is saying, why don't you just shut the doors to the church? Don't come in here and defile my presence. Don't come in here with your jokes. Don't come in here with your videos. Don't come in here with your video games. Some of you let your kids come into church. I've seen this as I've visited churches. Young people coming in with their earphones on and playing their video games in the worship service. Are you kidding me? Where's the, where's the respect for the Almighty God of heaven? And then the pastor stands up and introduces the sermon with jokes. And then he uses video clips out of movies. He doesn't talk about holiness. He doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. He talks about foolishness and strategies for success and how to make more money, how to be more successful in the world. This is an abomination to God. And he says, look, why don't you just close the doors to the church? I'm not going to be there. And God has departed and taken the lamp of his presence from most churches in America today. I say that again? Most churches in America today have had the lamp of God's presence removed. And now you're following the rituals. You're following the church calendar. You're going through meaningless services. But there is no call for repentance or holiness. If you give a call and you confront the sin... They'll throw you out. I know, I've been thrown out. But it's true. And, and the Lord said, Look, why don't you just shut the doors? Oh, I forgot, it's a business enterprise. There are people who have to have the cash flow. The priests have to have, the pastors have to have the cash flow. 
There's a debt on the church. He went to Pharaoh and borrowed money. Because the Lord God of heaven, his lampstand was removed from your presence. So now you borrow money from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because God wouldn't come and give you what you need to build the edifice you think God wants built. He doesn't want it built or he would pay for it. Come on. Isn't enough enough? Isn't it time to get serious with God? This is what John the Baptist was reading. This is why he came out saying these stern things that he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I tell you today, the wrath of God is coming upon America, and we need to pray and repent and get right with him, and in his mercy he'll spare us. But if we don't, the judgment will fall. Chapter 2, and now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Can I tell you part of what that curse is? Countless churches across America are closing and their properties are being bought up by Islam. And they're being turned into mosques. All across Europe, the same thing is happening. Islam is spreading rapidly. Why? Because God has put a curse upon his people for the wickedness of their heart. And he's letting them close their churches. Or... Some have learned the world's trade and the entertainment, and so their churches are booming because no one is confronted with their sin. Listen to this man. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your face the manure from your festal sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it, and you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue. My covenant, him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him this call for repentance, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. And he talks about Look, as you teach in the church, don't cause the people to stumble in wickedness. Don't violate the covenant of God. Verse 9, I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. The same thing is happening to the churches in America. Verse 11, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob. Even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty, the Lord's not interested in the money. 
He's interested in your heart, in offering your heart to God. When you bring a tithe or an offering before the Lord, you are bringing your heart before God. And if it's partly and small, in comparison with what you have, you bring a curse on yourself. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you've broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he's seeking godly offspring. Verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence. Divorce is violence, according to the word of the Lord. The Lord God of heaven hates divorce. And some of you have walked away from your marriage. Do you think God has not seen that? Some of you have taken everything you can take, men and women, in this day, and you have walked away from your marriage because you can. And it is wicked sin before Almighty God. And a day of judgment is going to come upon your life. And he is saying, look, do not break your marriage covenant. Do not divorce. What is the source of almost every divorce? I've done countless hours in marriage counseling with couples. I'll tell you what the single greatest factor, no, it's not money, even though that's a big one. It's not that you can't get along. There's a reason behind that. Most divorces are caused by selfishness, an absolute refusal to submit to the other one, an absolute refusal to allow the man to be the head of the house and the wife equal with the man, but fulfilling a different role, a different function. The New Testament is very clear about the role of men and women in marriage. That doesn't mean that women are under subjection to men because we were created equal, and when Jesus died on Calvary, the curse of Eden was broken over men and women. I don't have time to do the full study on this with you, but let it suffice to be said that if you have walked away from your marriage, you're in trouble with God. God is angry with you. Now, in the marriage, if it's sexual uncleanness, Jesus said you can leave. He said if your spouse is an unbeliever, stay with them. It's clear that if there is physical abuse, you have the right to separate. You don't have to remain in a household where you're getting physically abused. 
But if you just chose because you don't want to be with this woman or you don't want to be with this man, you have sinned against God. And when you took what you could take, you have stolen from the Lord. You didn't steal from your wife or your husband. You stole from Jesus. And you need to repent and make restitution. You need to forgive. Selfishness causes accusations and fights. Selfishness causes us to not forgive. We want our own way. We want what we want, and we're going to have it no matter what it costs anybody else. That's pure wickedness before the Lord God of heaven. And Malachi is saying, look, you weary the Lord with your words. He hates divorce. Let me be very clear with you today. If you are involved in a divorce, stop. Back up. Humble your heart. And repent before God. If you've had a divorce and that person is remarried or you're remarried, you can't back up, and but you can repent and you can make restitution. God is serious about this. Now in chapter 3, this is where John the Baptist begins to get the message. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And John recognized that that was his call. He was the one set apart from birth through a special anointing of God to be the messenger who would prepare the way before the coming Messiah. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus will come, he says. John the Baptist believed this. But then John the Baptist was a little bit mixed up and I don't blame him, that was not clear. Verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days as in former years. So I will come near you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. These things I'm saying to you, Malachi is saying, look, this is never going to change. This is God's position. Now, did Jesus come to the temple? Yes. Did he come like a refiner's fire or launder soap? 
but he will. He didn't realize that there was going to be a long time between the two comings. This is why John the Baptist, when Jesus was performing his ministry, sent messengers and said, Are you the one or is another to come? Have I made a mistake, Jesus? Are you the Messiah or is there another one to come? Remember in Isaiah 40, it said he would take his lambs in his arms. He took the children in his arms. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Jesus did not meet the expectation that John the Baptist had from the book of Malachi. And it gave him great trouble in his spirit. I believe that that's one of the reasons the Lord allowed him as the last Old Testament prophet to be removed by death. Because he could not understand the new covenant. He was of the old covenant. And the Lord was not going to ask him to change that. He had done his work. He had announced the coming of Messiah. And now it was time for him to leave the stage of history. But he had stepped with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. But he could not go any further. He had too much of Malachi in him. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Well, how are we to return to you? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? Tithes and offerings. Again, he's coming back to this issue of offerings. This is very big in the eyes of Jesus. He does not treat casually the offering of God's people as they bring it before him. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. If this broadcast is your primary source, of teaching, encouragement, and ministry, then you need to be sending your tithe to this ministry. If this ministry is not where you receive most of your teaching, then you need to be sending offerings because that's what pleases the Lord. Not because we need the offering in order to pay the radio bill. The only reason we have to do offertories is because the people who are ministered to by this radio broadcast cheat God and do not send an honest offering. Some of you do. 
I praise God for you. You're like clockwork. You never call in with a pledge or normally don't because like clockwork you send what God tells you to send. I praise God for you. But I want to say to you, you are robbing God if you do not send your tithe to the place where you receive the teaching of the gospel as your primary source. And if you receive teaching in the scripture from this broadcast, but it's not your primary source, then you need to send offerings. Or you are cheating God. You are displeasing him. The Lord doesn't change. This is the way of the Lord. He says, you've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. You ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out your requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. The Lord's saying, look. Get serious about being a follower of God. This is where John the Baptist received the fire of the Holy Spirit to address specific sins and call them by name. Divorce, disrespect for God, robbing God, trying to cheat him. John the Baptist read this. He read that he was the messenger who was to prepare the way for this Messiah who was coming, who was going to come to his temple. I hope you hear the word of the Lord today. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence of the Lord concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And today you don't see that distinction. But I'm here to tell you that you will soon see that distinction very clearly because the Holy Spirit baptism and fire are going to come upon those who have sold themselves out to Jesus. And you are going to see men and women arise from all quarters in this nation who have walked righteously before God. Some of you, by God's grace, are included in that number. And the day is coming when the Holy Spirit will come in mighty power upon you and fire upon you. And you will speak forth the word of God in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Men and women will weep and pray and return to the Lord and repent of their sins, and a great harvest will be brought to the Lord God of heaven. There will be a distinction once more between the righteous and the sinners. Now chapter 4. 
Surely the day is coming it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day, when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty, remember the law of Moses. The decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb are for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is where the message of John the Baptist flowed out of righteousness and holiness, confronting the evil of his day. I'm telling you now, the day is almost upon us when this nation will burn like a furnace. And the arrogant and every evildoer who has disrespected the Lord God of heaven will be stubble. And that day is coming which will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. Do you think you can just do whatever you want? Go wherever you want to go? Do what you think you need? Selfishness filling your heart? Arrogance? Pride? Unforgiveness? Bitterness? homosexuality, lusting after everything of wickedness, the trance action? Do you think all of this can be abided by the Lord God of heaven? No, it cannot be. Lying, cheating, stealing. It's all going to be dealt with. But today, today is the day of repentance. The Lord is going to rise with healing in his wings. And he desires today to heal you. But you must repent. And you must turn once more to the Lord God of heaven. You must turn from your wickedness. Lord God, Mighty Jesus, I plead for every person listening to this broadcast that they will produce fruit in keeping with repentance and that with healing in your wings you will come to them and pour in the oil and the wine. Minister to them, Lord, to those who have disrespected you, who have sinned mightily against you, who have caused wickedness to abound. Lord, would you come and minister to their heart now? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. Would you pass it on to someone who needs it? If you have tithe or offerings that you need to send, send them to the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 
That's a National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box, 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. My dear brother, my sister, it's a very sober time. Jesus is coming again. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. God bless you.